Here we go, Draft Knicks, here we go. Welcome to another edition of the Draft Nation. My name is Joe412, and I will be your host for the next 30 minutes. Before we uh, drop the puck tonight, I want to thank our sponsor, longtime sponsor, iHeartRadio, now iHeartMedia, where you can find all of your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all for free all the time. And for those of you who haven't listened to our show before, Draft Nation is a national e-magazine, and we hyper on things I know this is going to surprise you with the name of Draft Nation. We focus on all four major sports and their professional drafts. So we cover all aspects of scouting. Uh, we cover mock drafts. We talk about free agency for your favorite teams. We talk about the salary cap imp- implications and provisions for those favorite teams. And, of course, uh, what your favorite teams are going to do in those upcoming drafts. And tonight we have a very special guest, and we're going to talk a little baseball as we're inching closer uh, to spring training, and we've got Ron Burnick. Now, Ron is a fellow Pittsburgher like me, but he's uh, he lives up in Buffalo, New York, where he plays some college ball. Uh, and we're going to talk about what he does, what he has done, and what he's doing now with Hot Corner Athletics. I know we all like to talk about scouts and get a peek behind the curtain. Well, Ron is that guy when it comes to baseball. So, Ron, welcome to Draft Nation, and are you, are you ready to go on the clock? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. No, my pleasure, man. Well, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, uh, where you came from, uh, and uh, and what you're doing now. Yeah, so I I I grew up in Pittsburgh, like you mentioned. Um, I played baseball and a bunch of different sports my whole life. I uh, had plans on going to Duquesne University. I was graduating high school in 2010. They dropped their baseball program, and, and I was kind of looking for a spot to go. So Ended up at Canisius College in Buffalo, very similar to Duquesne, just a different city. Uh, spent four years there where we won conference championship, regular season championship, um, few accolades, uh, you know, some different things there, and then and then got into coaching. So I coached two years at Niagara University, uh, you know, and, and kind of dabbled there for a little while until I, you know, found my real passion, which was development. So I got more into the developmental space and started training athletes. And initially, it was you know, your typical training facility where you're working with kids from five all the way up through high school. And, and then I had my first couple pro guys and, and that's kind of where this all came up. Where I had uh, 2021, um, I had a kid get drafted in the first round. I had a kid debut in the major leagues and then the kid throwing the Olympics for team Israel. So, uh, you know, it's, it's been a really fun ride. And, and now I kind of travel the country to, to see some really high level talent. And like you said, get behind the curtain and see what, you know, a lot of the scouts are doing to identify the best talent in the country. Well, you know, we have a lot of sports fans that listen to the show, but the sports fans we have, the majority of them are these draft Knicks, right? And they love to hear the behind the scenes curtains, as you said, uh, and, and, you know, how this works. And when I'm, you know, on the road and I'm evaluating hockey and, and football talent, uh, it's a lot like you, what you're doing in evaluating, you know, baseball talent. What kind of philosophy do you use in identifying talent at the highest level, no matter the age? I mean, you said you coach kids that are from five to, you know, getting drafted or go playing in the Olympics. How do you identify them? What's, what is your philosophy behind that? Yeah, I, the, the biggest thing is, is – their makeup as a person, you know, if they're in a position where they're being evaluated and scouted for professional baseball, it's, it's the makeup. And you, you hear it all the time where guys get drafted and then they fall off. Um, you know, they were kind of in it for just the, the ability to get drafted in the first round and sign for the money, but they're really not there for the actual sport. And so you're, you're trying to identify the makeup of the kid, you know, are they respectful? Are they high character kids? Um, are they the guys that are getting there early 
are they cleaning up the dugout? You know, there are a lot of times where, you know, I just did an event this weekend and, you know, I got there four hours early. I want to see who was going to show up early, who was going to do their early work by themselves without people watching them, who was going to stay late and clean the stuff up, who's a good teammate, you know, because when you're talking about the best players in the world, they know they're the best. They understand that they're there for a reason, but it's those little extra things that, you know, you know, there's somebody that's going to fight and claw their way through every level, especially in baseball, where you have to go through multiple levels to get to the major leagues. Um, you know, it's trying to see who's, who's ready for that type of grind uh, until they kind of make it to the limelight where they're playing on TV. Yeah. You know, a couple of months ago, I had a, a guy named Kerry Krug on the show who does what you do. He just does it for hockey. Uh, he's a yeah. you know, Michigan hockey royalty. He's, coaching a team now in, in Pittsburgh, very similar to what you're doing in, in Buffalo. And, and he's got a, you know, a development camp. And he said almost the same thing verbatim where it's look, most of these guys are the same guy. It's just, what is that separating fact? Like what brings them, you know, to that next level? And, and, you know, for you, what are, you mentioned it. I mean, so let's talk about it a little bit. What, what are some of those major separators for a guy that you see that may end up going in a major league draft or, or it, let's just say it's to get to a college level that might separate them from D2 to D1 or D, you know, you know, uh, or, or something like that. Where, what are some of those major separators that you look for as baseball traits? And you, you kind of hinted at a few of them already. Yeah. I, I said character is definitely one, but I think the, the willingness to learn, you know, there, there are so many kids out there that, have been taught by one person and one person only. And then when you go into the minor league system, which, you know, we're dealing with a bunch of our pro guys now, you have different coaches every day. You go to a different level. You have a different hitting coach. You have a different infield coach, catching coach, manager. Um, they're changing scouting directors. They're changing GMs. You know, there's, there's a lot of movement in the pro game, and I'm sure it's, it's the same way in other sports. But are you willing to take in information? Now, does that mean that you're going to keep all of that information? No, it's understanding to have a filter and understand what you like and want to keep and what you want to get rid of and kind of use for another day. But a, a lot of the people that I've seen, especially these high school kids that are about to sign for a ton of money, is it doesn't matter if you've been in the industry for five years, 10 years, 20 years, they're always trying to take little bits and pieces from every single person to just improve their game. Like none of these kids, have, they thought they made it yet. And the kids that do, those are the kids that typically will fall off towards, you know, once, once draft night's called. But those kids that are constantly willing to learn and listen and, you know, hear what other people have to say and then use their filter to keep what they like, those are the ones that I see, you know, do really, really well. And, and the easy terminology that we use is coachability, right? Like we want, we want kids and pro athletes to be coachable. We want them to be able to listen. But it, it goes way deeper than that to a sense of like coachability isn't listening to everything that you're being told. It's about listening to everything and then keeping what's going to help you become better for yourself. And, and you have to really, really get to know a kid or a family to understand that dynamic. Uh, and that's the one thing in, in my position that I feel like, you know, I'm able to do a good job of because I'm, I'm very big in the relationship side of things. So it's really just identifying, you know, who the kid is and are they willing to take information without getting defensive or, thinking that we're being critical, you know, it's more like we're just trying to help them as much as, you know, they're trying to help themselves. So that, that's really the biggest, the biggest thing that I see. Those kids that are looking for information to improve and, and advance their careers, whatever, whatever, to whatever level they're trying to go, those are the ones that typically get better. You know, in this day of, of NIL, um, 
you know, and for those of you, I'm sure everyone listening knows name, image, and likeness these days. It's a, it's last two years. It's been the hot topic. Have you seen NIL at your level of scouting and development impact some of your higher end talented guys in the sense that some of them fall off because of the comfortability. Now they've got cash. Like I, I, I won't say what school I did an interview a few uh, last week and um, there was a school that was, uh, you know, recruiting a guy and his, whose father had stepped in and said, we want 30% of every NIL dollar that you raise, you know, and, and it, it was a big enough name that everybody that was listening tonight would recognize it. But it's almost like, you know, you get the, the interference run by the parents and then you've got kids that now that haven't even touched college yet. You mentioned high school kids that are going to get drafted at 18. That, you know, I've seen some obscene money thrown in this Major League Baseball offseason at some kids that haven't even made it to the majors yet. I mean, are you seeing that affecting development at your level just yet, or is it still – it still needs to trickle down to where you are. I'm not talking about the five or six-year-olds. I'm talking about the 17-year-olds, the 18-year-olds, those juniors and seniors that are that could get paid. Uh, we saw like Clint, uh, we saw Ewers, who now plays for Texas, who was playing at Ohio State, get offered $8 million before he even stepped onto a college football field. I mean, are you seeing that impact at your level yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah, big time. And, and I think the transfer portal is – also playing a huge factor. So, you know, for those that are following baseball, understand this, but those that are kind of, you know, on the outskirts. So Major League Baseball is starting to cut the number of minor league players on, on in a specific organization. So every over the last couple of years, they've been cutting, you know, from 180 players to 160 players. And I, I think it's going to continue to go down. And so what's happening is it's flooding and not in a bad way, but it's kind of is what it is. It's flooding the college game and the independent league game. And so a lot of kids are now ending up in college, and it's actually blowing up the junior college market. So you're seeing a lot more kids go the junior college route, and they're doing that because they say, well, I could be a mid-major, you know, Division one athlete out of high school, but I'll go junior college, and then I'm just going to sign to a big four-year and get paid then. And if I make it to pro baseball, great. But you're also seeing some of those guys that are third and fourth and fifth round high school kids that know they're good enough to play professionally that are choosing to go to an, an institution that has a ton of NIL opportunities where they're picking that over signing for less money for the draft. You're seeing way more kids now understand their career path and how they can actually get paid in this game, and it's, it's taking over. So the NIL money is blowing up. Kids are leaving mid-major schools to go to big schools for NIL deals. Um, you know, if you look at the Braden Montgomery kid left Stanford to go to, uh, I believe, Texas A&M, you know, it, it's, a, it's a full NIL thing. You know, there are a lot of people that are making decisions based on the financial opportunity that they can get after proving themselves for a couple of years in, in college or going the junior college route to be able to give themselves a better chance to get free schooling or NIL opportunities, you know, after the junior college years. But you still see guys that are foregoing college baseball to go to the draft but most of those kids that you're seeing are the top 60 picks in the draft that are signing for over a million dollars. So, you know, it's, it's taking a huge toll on the development of the 17 and 18 year old kids because they're not sold on going division one anymore, you know, for a long time. And I was this way, I was a division one or bus guy. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of people listening here are like, Oh yeah, you know, my, my kid was like that. Or he had friends like that. You know, that was me. And, you know, going, looking at it now, if I was to play in the, in the world now, I wouldn't even think about Division One. I. I would play junior college for two years and prove my game, 
make sure I'm ready, and then I would try to, try to go get paid somewhere. And that's what a lot of these kids are doing, and they're very, very smart about it because the school isn't even a factor. They know if they're going to a Power 5 school, they're getting school paid for pretty much. But it's how much money am I going to get on top of that? Am I going to get ten grand? Am I going to get a hundred grand, five hundred grand? You know, and the bigger institutions that you look at, they're able to offer more opportunities for these kids. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of that in today's game. I, there are guys, and not to switch sports, but on the football side, the last two yeah. years we've seen guys stay in school because they can make more money. They know that they're a second, third day pick, and they'll stay in school because they can make more money in the NIL. Uh, game than they can in the pros with salary caps in for for leagues like NHL and, and like rookie caps where they have for the NFL. Baseball's a little different, but you know, staying on the same subject, but turning away from NIL for a second and talking about talent again, what's the difference between guys that end up in in college baseball versus those that sign to play professionally? I mean, we saw this past draft guys like Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz that played a couple of years in college go one and two respectively from LSU. And then, you know, we saw guys that haven't even left high school yet going three and five, uh, you know, and, you know, those guys, um, you know, what, what do you see, what are the differences between those guys and, and why are they making those decisions or is it just, is it just a talent thing? Yeah. So a guy, a guy like Paul Skeens was at, at Air Force first and, you know, really did well there, and his coach did a great job with him to kind of get him ready, and the transfer portal really helped him where he was able to go to LSU and sign for big bucks. But the, the college-level players, historically, now there's outliers that, like always, but historically the college-level players, when they go to professional baseball, are much more pre- prepared for the major league game than the high school kid. The high school kid will typically go into minor leagues, develop for four years, you know, our guy, you know, that went in the first round in 2021, he's going to spend four or five years in the minor leagues. If he explodes over the next year or two, he'll get to the big leagues. Um, he needs that developmental time. But then you have a kid that goes like like a Dylan Cruz or a Paul Skeens or, you know, a Jordan Lawler from 2021 who was on the World Series roster for the Diamondbacks. Um, you know, he's an outlier for a high school kid. But a Nolan Shanuel from FAU who spent 21 games in the minor leagues and was a big leaguer, the college-level guys are typically more ready for the pro game when they get there. Um, Henry Davis is a great example. He's a Pittsburgh kid. He got drafted by Pirates first overall. I was actually at that draft when he got picked up. And, um, you know, Henry Davis was a, a high school kid that, you know, was above average. He was going to Louisville. You knew he was probably going to be a draft pick, but you didn't know where. And goes into college baseball and develops for three years, becomes a superstar, and goes first overall in the draft in 2021. And it's like those guys are they're going to spend two years in the minor leagues and be a big leaguer. And I think that's the one thing that you see with, with, the, with the college game is they have a little bit more structure. They learn a little bit more about how to handle themselves, how to handle adversity, how to handle 95 to 100 mile an hour fastballs where you're looking at a high school kid where a lot of these scouts are taking them based on, you know, talent specifically right now and projecting how they're going to grade when they make it to the major league level. But none of those guys have had, no matter what event they go to, they're, they're not seeing 95 to 100 miles an hour every single day. So there is a developmental time frame that they need. That's why you see the college guys get to the big league so much faster. You know, I, I see that transition – not only in baseball, but hockey and, and, and basketball, where they have a minor league system. You, you know, we, when you look at the NBA draft last year, I think six of the top ten players never stepped foot on a college 
on a college campus. These guys are playing in the G League and getting paid to play. And, you know, they, they played that one year out and then they were able to get drafted. Or in, in, uh, in hockey, you know, where they used to have these prep schools, they still work and things like that. But you're seeing some of these guys, not, well, of course, there's international, you know, flair to what they're doing too. But you, you see, you know, you know, guys like Fantilli, you know, you know, coming out of Michigan and, and, and Brindley coming out of Michigan. And you see these guys, they, they've gone to school or they've gone to the, the prep route. And there are way, I, mean, I guess there's, there's goods and bads, um, you know, in, in each of those cases. But, you know, we, we have a lot of listeners to the show. And those, those listeners, you know, some of them are looking to become D1 players. Others are parents of potential D1 uh, players, you know. Tell them, you know, as someone who goes around and scouts, you know, you've got, we'll get into hot corner in a second, but, you know, as someone who travels the country, what are some of the best events in the country to attend if you're a good athlete looking to play professionally, in particular in baseball, because I know you know that best, uh, what are some of the places that you would recommend parents take their kids to make sure they're getting into the right spots? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a scout in Western New York for USA Baseball, the national training, a national team identification series, and and they opened my eyes to what USA Baseball is all about. That that by far is the number one event in the country. So so trying to play for your country as as an amateur is by far the hardest thing to do. So getting into the NCIS or the player development program, which is the P- USA's PDP, which is, uh, you know, combined with Major League Baseball. You know, that's the top 25 players in the in the country that are, you know, playing internationally for a world championship. And, and if you look at guys like Max Clark and Bryce Eldridge, like the guys that have gone in the first round, uh, if you look at their draft picture, most of those guys have, you know, as the USA Baseball PDP prospect shirt on when they're getting drafted. And that's, and that's the, the, holy grail of, of, you know, the top talent in the country. But does that mean that, you know, you're not going to get drafted if you don't make the, you know, Team USA? Absolutely not. Um, the second tier down is, is I'm heavily involved in area code games as well. I'm the Northeast director for all the ID um, series program. And I'm also a coach on the New York Yankee scout team for area code. I've done that for six years now. This will be my seventh coming up here. Area code games is a phenomenal event. Top 200 players in the country. East Coast Pro is a very similar event that's played in Hoover, Alabama. And then with Future Star Series and MLB Develops and those guys, what they're doing is, is phenomenal. It's just putting really good players on the map, giving them opportunities to, you know, get in front of scouts. At Area Code Games last year, there was like 500 scouts that were at the event. GMs, assistant GMs, every single agency in the country or in the world was there. Um, you know, every single area scout, cross-checker, national cross-checker, they're all in one place for, you know, five or six days, and they're seeing the top talent in the country. So, you know, USA, uh, Area Code Games, East Coast Pro, MLB Develops, and, and uh, you know, the Future Star Series are, are huge, huge events. But, you know, to go down a little bit further, um, Perfect Game does a really good job. You know, I, I think if you're at the right events and doing the right things, you know, you have some opportunities. The the, the World Wood Bat Association, their championships that, P, that Perfect Game runs in Georgia are phenomenal. Um, you know, there's 475 teams in that event in every single college in the country, um, you know, that's trying to win a College World Series is there. And then what Prep Baseball Report's doing on the state level is pretty good. What they're doing on the national level is incredible. Um, you know, so those are the places to go. But, you know, to be honest with you, I think the biggest thing is, is exposure. You know, I'm in an area in the country where, you know, we, we are lacking exposure. And so a lot of our kids are going to some of these events to try and get exposed. But if you're a top player and you really think you're a top player, 
getting into the area code games, doing something with USA Baseball and trying to get into like an East Coast Pro or some type of MLB develops event is, is your best option for getting yourself out there. And when you say you're underexposed, it's because it's Buffalo and or Northeast, and we're seeing a lot of players go south because they can play year round, and and you know it's a you know it's a you know it's it's a weather thing, and you, is is that why people stay away, or is it more uh, you know size of market, or, or why do you why do you think you're underexposed? Um, size of market's definitely a big thing. I also think time frame too. You know, we go to school until the end of June here. Um, they're trying to play, you know, travel games in, in, in June, July, and then August, we pretty much shut down for football. So we have a, a two to three month window, you know, for exposure where when you look at, you know, the Southern and, and West coast, uh, states, like those guys are playing eight, eight months a year. But if you think about it, if you look at a Northeast, you know, a state that's trying to play baseball, we're trying to cram in 30, 40 games in two months. When you're looking at, you know, uh, let's say Florida or California, they could play 40 games over four months, you know, so, so they're not taxed by any means. The arms aren't in bad shape. They're able to perform at their best every time they're out there because they're spreading their games out. So there's, there's a lot better exposure in the warm areas. And that's where a lot of people travel to, you know, perfect game and PBR do a great job of running their events in Georgia and in Florida. And a lot of kids are traveling all over the country to go there. So, you know, you're going to have the best exposure by being where other really good players are. And, you know, unfortunately for the Northeast kids and fortunately for the kids that are able to get there, like the, that's the place to be. And so that's why they run the East coast pro event in Hoover, Alabama. And that's why they run the area code games in, um, you know, Long Beach, California and San Diego at times. But uh, even USA baseball, they do, they do a big event every year at J Sarah in California. Um, you know, they do a lot of stuff in Florida and North Carolina at their, at their training complex. So, you know, being in those areas is, is, you know, the, where you're trying to go if you want to actually make it somewhere. So you founded uh, and are obviously the CEO of Hot Corner Athletics. Um, What's the inspiration uh, behind, you know, owning your own business and starting something, especially where you started it too? I know you play ball there, so maybe it was easier for you to transition and stay there. You were a known commodity in the community. But what was what was the inspiration behind, behind Hot Corner? Yeah, I, I had some really amazing coaches throughout my life. And, yeah, I think everybody has a story. And, my story was that my coaches saved me, you know, is is they helped me become a man. They helped me become who I, who I am today. Um, You know, outside of my mom, who's awesome, but you know, my coaches did a really good job. And I always felt that, you know, I'm a, I'm a leader. I like to lead people and, and I want to help people advance themselves, you know, and, and I always say this, that, you know, I'm very fortunate to work with high level talent now, but 99% of kids that walk in our doors at hot corner may never play professionally if I can do something to help change their life in some capacity, then we're winning. And that's how, that's how we built. And we built by caring about people. And, you know, yes, we develop, we have technology, we have all the analytics, but at the end of the day, we're still dealing with people and people with feelings and people with goals and dreams. And our goal is to try and just help them get to where they want to go. Um, you know, so at the end of the day, our biggest thing is I, I was inspired by my coaches to become a coach. Uh, when my career was over, I, I didn't, I didn't want to leave the game. I love baseball and this is what I wanted to do. Uh, but I also found in Buffalo that there just wasn't a ton of development. There was a lot of high school and travel baseball happening, and those guys do a great job. But I wanted to make sure that we were developing athletes at the highest level that we possibly can and give them a chance to, you know, reach their goals. If a kid tells me he wants to play professionally, I want to put him in front of every opportunity that I can to get him there, 
whether it happens or not. I just want the opportunity to be there. And so we were inspired by, you know, our coaches and then inspired by the kids that we're now training where, you know, every single day we're just trying to help somebody advance in their career or in life. So you mentioned a word back there, and I'm gonna, I have to bring it up because baseball is the king of this word, and that is analytics. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, if there's ever a sport that analytics has been more impactful and, you know, I, everybody has seen Moneyball by now and sort of the, the birth of uh, analytics and, and things like that. But also, I think you see this new wave of tech uh, that's come in, especially if, you, if anybody watched any of the pregame to the Super Bowl uh, this past week. You saw Jaden Daniels from LSU wearing virtual reality goggles and throwing to invisible guys uh, on his virtual reality screen on his headset that he was wearing uh, as part of that. And that limits contact for some of those guys, but it also shows them defenses and how to read defenses and things like that. But baseball, it's the granddaddy of them all for analytics. What's your take on analytics for your profession and in particular your sport and some of this new tech in the area? Are we going to see that kind of take over where, you know, guys might be playing games virtually as opposed to literally being on the field doing that and, you know, what, what's your feel for that? Is, it, is there going to be a continued resistance to it, or is it going to be accepted, you know, across the board? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you said resistance. I, I fought tech for years. I was, I you know, I was brought up old school, you know, put your head down to work. Um, I started Hot Corner that way and realized that I was, I was tapping kids out, or I was getting to a point where, I really couldn't go back to the families of the kids that we were training and, and really show them improvement for six months because we're training and training and they're not playing games. And then they go outside and, you know, they're using results as a way to see if they're getting better, which baseball is a sport of failure. I mean, we're not going to, we're not going to have success every time we step on the field, no matter how we train. So we dove really deep into analytics when we opened our big facility. It's uh, our 18,000 square foot facility that we have now. And we have, we have technology through the roof, but we use it as a tool. It's, it's not the end-all, be-all from the developmental aspect on whether I think a kid's a good player or not. I think what it does more than anything is show that our coaches are doing a good job. Um, you know, so from bar speed testers on how fast the guy's moving a weight bar, whether it's a squat or a deadlift or something like that, like we have ranges that we want to stay in when we're working certain movements uh, in certain blocks of the year. Um, you know, the TrackMan unit that we have, that's in all the major league stadiums where you see the stat, the stat cast information. We have one of those, and it tells you all the data on the ball. So I can develop easier because I know what the numbers are. You know, or a hit tracks unit that actually shows a baseball field and shows where a kid's hitting the ball on the field. You know, is it a quality hit? You know, is it going to play in a real game? And I can challenge it by adding, you know, different levels of difficulty for defenses. You know, there are there's so many different technology pieces out there now that we use and you know one that i'm partnered with blast motion that's an actual bat speed tester that you know tracks the the way that the bat moves through the zone and the plane and how fast you're rotating and how fast the bat is all that stuff is is just a tool to figure out if we're doing a good job and the kid is becoming as efficient as possible you know it's easy to look at the stack cast information and say you know Aaron Judge hit a ball 122 miles an hour it went 467 feet like that's cool but from a developmental aspect for me it's okay well where did this kid start if he started by hitting the ball 84 miles an hour how long did it take us to get him to hit the ball 95 miles an hour as easy as possible where he can translate it outside in a game setting where it's going to matter um you know analytics are taking over 
and I and I think the challenge with it is there's a lot of people that rely solely on the the data and technology and their development. And I think everything is dynamic. You know, I, I think the whole game is dynamic. I think coaches have to understand the technology, but to rely solely on it, I think is is a disservice to the kid. You know, because all it does is tell us how we're doing. So that kid that is improving by 14 or 15 miles an hour in an off season, we can just go back to the parent and say, hey, listen, your son has worked or daughter has worked really hard. We're really proud of them. And it's a testament to not only your kid working hard, but to also our program itself by, you know, doing the right things by by the kid and, and making sure that they're doing the right stuff whenever they're here training. Yeah, you know, you can use that for outcomes-based training. You can use that for metrics. You can show improvement, and that's something that I think parents and other – well, I'll describe them as investors – are going to be interested in seeing, you know, those metrics for that. But, Ron, we're coming to the end of our time here. We've got only about a minute and a half left. Tell everybody one last time where they can find you, how they can get a hold of you, and where they can find Hot Corner. Yeah, so our, our website is hotcornerathletics.com. It goes through all our programs, camps, clinics we're running, and there's contact links on there. Um, I can be found on all social platforms as Ronnie Burnick. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really active on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, you know, that's, those are the big three for, for baseball-specific development and education, so that's where we do a lot of our stuff there. And then I also have a nonprofit organization that we do um, you know, equipment giveaways to underprivileged kids called Hot Corner Futures Foundation that can also be found on our Hot Corner Athletics website. So very simple, Ronnie Burnick on all social platforms and hotcornerathletics.com. Well, Ron, again, thanks for coming on uh, Draft Nation tonight. We really appreciate that. So big thanks to you and, of course, our sponsor, iHeartMedia, where you can find all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all for free. Uh, Ron, thanks again for, for being on the show. And remember, while Draft Nation may be off the air, we are always on the clock for you. Thanks again, Ron. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you.